Well, good morning, everyone. If you do not know me, I'm uh, Pastor Brian Bethke. I'm the North Andover campus pastor, and from time to time, um, Pastor John allows me to uh, come and preach here, so thank you. Um, as a young Marine, I thought I was invincible. I was in my 20s, I'm a healthy guy, and I thought I could pretty much do anything, but I hadn't achieved what I wanted to achieve. And the pinnacle of being a Marine was these mythical figures. And these mythical Marines, these mythical figures, you knew who they were because they wore certain devices on their uniform. And it was these gold wings and this silver-looking thing right here, which is a, a, a scuba bubble. And it was the sign that these Marines were Force Reconnaissance Marines. And Force Reconnaissance Marines could do anything. They could... They would jump out of planes from 25,000 feet. They would, they would infiltrate, uh, infiltrate uh, enemy lines um, with their scuba equipment. And they were like the Navy SEALs of the Marines. And that was my ambition. I wanted to be one of those guys. That was success. That solidified and validated who I was as a Marine. And I had this burning ambition. And, and eventually I did. I became a reconnaissance Marine. And ambition is sometimes defined, I think, by all of us as nothing more than uh, a personal drive for our honor and our fame. And I think it's important to understand that we were created to have ambition, but the ambition we were created to have was to glorify God by improving, producing, developing, and creating wherever God has placed us. Yet, sometimes this ambition goes off track and our God-glorifying hardwiring often gets abandoned um, as we seek our glory, and it, and it produces this numbness or this confusion or this paralysis. But yet, Christ gives us new life and redeems our ambition. And we truly live when our ambition is for the glory of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today in a message that I've titled, Joyful Ambition. So if you're not there... Go ahead and turn to Philippians 1.18. Also on the back of your bulletins, you'll see that it's printed off there. And today, what I want to do is I want to look at three ways in which we could redeem our ambition for the glory of Christ and truly live. So let me pray and ask God just to bless our time. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this time that we have to praise your name. I pray that your spirit would fill us, illuminate your word Teach us the things that we do not know and speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we see is we bring glory to Christ by taking courage in the provisions of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 1.18 says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's in prison, and he's writing his letter to the Philippians. And last week, Pastor John described um, Paul how the gospel was advancing through him being in chains, and Paul's addressing his current ministry context. Here Paul shifts to his attention to his future ministry context. And he's very optimistic about the future. In fact, if you think about the situation he is as being in prison, he's quite courageous. 
considering that death is a real possibility for him. And courage was something that was just pounded into me as a Marine. You knew the definition of courage. It was one of our core values as a Marine, honor, courage, and commitment. And courage is, is not the absence of fear, yet it is, it is the strength to persevere in the midst of fear. And Paul is not only persevering, he's rejoicing. And we have to ask ourselves, well, how? How does he do this? Well, verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so we see that Christ's glorifying courage is supplied by the Holy Spirit through prayer. And that's available to us through prayer. I think we have to ask ourselves is, what does Christ's glorifying courage look like? Because we hear this word courage, but what does it look like? I think if we look at Paul, we see that Christ's glorifying courage is the willingness to put personal reputation and well-being on the line for the purpose of exalting Christ. We see verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And for Paul, he lives in a shame-based culture. Shame was a huge thing, and being in prison was a shameful was a shameful thing to be. And the threat of death was real. I mean, he's in a Roman prison. The Romans weren't known for their compassion. They had perfected death. But yet, Paul doesn't care about his reputation or his well-being. His ambition was not to make his, him famous or comfortable. His ambition was, whether by life or by death, to exalt Christ. And he exchanged self-exaltation for Christ-exaltation. And he rejoiced in this eager expectation that he would be delivered one way or another. He has joy knowing that God has him where he has him for a purpose. And his future, he's not worried about it. Because that's exactly where Christ wants him. And he will be delivered either physically, which I think here he did think at some point he would be leaving prison, or he'd be delivered in the next life to come. But in one way or another, he would be delivered. His future was sealed. He's fine. He believes in the sovereignty of God, and he's secure in that. Now, some of us could say, well, what's wrong with wanting a good reputation? And I don't think nothing's wrong with wanting a good reputation, as long as it brings glory to Christ. It's got to be rooted in Christ. And my concern for us is not that we wrestle with standing up for Christ on our front lines, my concern is that we are feel fearful and we feel paralyzed for standing up for Christ on our front lines. And we look at Paul, and sometimes we think, well, Paul, Paul was different. Paul was like this super Christian, or he was just mentally deranged. I don't know. But he was a super Christian, and he had this unstoppable mentality. And the fact was, is yes, Paul did have an unstoppable mentality, but he wasn't a super Christian. He was just like you and me. A normal guy, subject to mistakes, and he made many of them, and you see them within the Gospels or within his letters. But I want to go back to something Paul says. He says, I will in no way be ashamed. I will in no way be ashamed. You see, our fear and our shame are rooted in our ambition. If our ambition is simply to have success and have a good reputation apart from Christ, when confronted with adversity that threatens our success or reputation because of Christ, we will shrink back from that. 
But when our ambition is rooted in Christ's glory, empowered by his spirit, shame disappears and we are unstoppable. In every opportunity, in every context, in life or death is a chance to fulfill our creative purpose, which is to glorify Christ. And when you are fulfilling your creative purpose to glorify Christ, the result of that is joy. You rejoice because you're doing what you were created to do. And I think this has a special meaning for us here at Free Christian Church as far as putting our reputation on the line for Christ. I mean, think about our history. Our church was founded by people putting their reputation on the line for Christ. They were successful business owners, but they put their reputation and their business and their livelihood on the line to see Christ glorified. So it even has a special meaning to us here at Free Christian Church. And so I want to encourage us to step out in faith and and take that step of courage that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And maybe that just starts with inviting someone to the Check It Out dinner for Alpha. You saw the the, uh, the video. Just go to the front desk, grab one of those cards, and I know there's someone that's on your mind right at the second that you're saying, you know what, they need to check this out. Do it. Put your reputation on the line for Christ and see him glorified. That's the first thing. The second thing is we bring glory to Christ by having a Christ-centered perspective. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Our ambitions in life are always mediated through our perspective. I mean, I had a marine perspective and what success looked like in the marine context, and therefore my ambition was to be a reconnaissance marine. That's the pinnacle of my ambition because that's my perspective. That's my context. And for Paul, he can't imagine a life without Christ. And Paul begins to process his future by looking at it through a Christ-centered perspective. And the first thing we see is a Christ-centered perspective is experiential. He says, for to me, for to me, this is an acceptance of Christ, uh, an, an affection towards Christ, a devotion and a loyalty to Christ. Christ is real and present and he feels Christ. We're called to have this experiential relationship with Christ. So much so that he says, my desire is to to depart and be with Christ. I want to be with Christ more. I'm with Christ now. He's with me. He's always present. But I I want to have an unhindered view of Christ. That's his prize. That's his goal. That's the perspective that he has. Since he has that Christ-centered perspective, the goal of his ambition is to be with Christ. And it's experiential. We see a Christ-centered perspective is practical. He says, to live. For me, to live. We see that as Paul kind of works out this dilemma that he has. Verse 22 through 24 says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. 
I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul's sitting there and he's going, I want to be with Christ so bad. I want to have an unhindered view of Christ so bad because I know the joy and satisfaction I feel right now, but I want that unhindered. I want that to be on steroids and I look forward to being in the presence of Christ. But I know it's better for Christ's glory for me to remain here because there's a lot of fruitful labor to be done. So he mediates his practical living through a Christ-centered perspective with the object being Christ's glory. And Christ is present in every moment of our day. And our ambitions attempt to make sense out of our lives and answer one of the most important questions. Why am I here? I mean, really, at the end of the day, we do what we do. We're ambitious for the things that we're ambitious for, and we make decisions because we want to validate why we're here. And Christ answers this. Instead of making sense into life, Christ makes life into sense by making it clear that we are here to fulfill our creative purposes by bringing glory to him. He makes life into sense for us. Everything we do is for Christ's glory. And until Christ is the most important thing in your life, the question of purpose will continue no matter how successful, altruistic, or educated you are. There's one very successful athlete that I think all of us know and adore that in an interview once said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, isn't it? This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Do we know who that was? Just the venerated saint of Tom Brady, yes. There's got to be more. And when it's not rooted in Christ, you're always going to feel like there's got to be more. And perspective is important. Perspective drives ambition, which directs decisions that have real impacts on life. The hard thing is, though, is that some of our ambitions, and, and, which direct our decisions to pursue things, that are in and of themselves good things. I mean, what's wrong with wanting to pursue happiness or health or happiness for my kids or job security? There's nothing with that. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is not the ambition or the decision. The problem is the perspective in which that ambition and decision are being made from. And when it's not centered on Christ, these things tend to usurp the throne of our hearts and become idols. Good things could become idols in our lives very easy when it's detached from Christ, from that Christ-centered perspective. Your kid's happiness, for example, could be an idol. It could easily become an idol when it's detached from the glory of Christ. Health could be something that becomes an idol when it's not detached from the glory of Christ. And that, I think, is the hardest thing for us. And these idols are hollow, they're temporary, and, and they, they give a facade of flourishment in life. We think we're successful, but we're not. And in the end, they always, always disappoint. Always. 
Some of you are thinking about some of those things in your life right now. I, I, really, I really thought about this as I was doing this message. You know, I'm retired. These are just pieces of metal. They're just pieces of metal, and I, I, I count the cost of what I gave up to get these pieces of metal so I could wear them for, you know, 20 years on my chest. And it comes home to me, the, the, the point of it is really driven home to me when I go through pictures. And I see pictures of my kids. And I start to get a little weepy. And I'm getting weepy not because I missed it when they were little. I have three kids, they're all older. I do miss that they, when they were little because they didn't talk back as much now as adults, but <laughs> it was the fact that there's pictures I don't even remember when they were taken because I wasn't even there. I wasn't there because I was pursuing this because the pinnacle of my life was this. This was success. And I see pictures. I'm like, when did you break your arm? Oh, well, you were gone, Dad. And I remember, oh, yeah, I was gone. I was at jump school. When did you have a haircut that looked like a bowl was on top of your head? <laughs> oh, you were gone at dive school. And it has real impacts. And this is just metal. And a Christ-centered perspective redeems ambition by putting Christ on the throne of your heart. And Christ puts things in their proper place, which frees us. When Christ is on the throne of our hearts, and we have that Christ-centered perspective, it frees us. The sting of death is gone. Our prize is Christ. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ is my ultimate prize. And this frees us to cease earning and validating our life with things that we can't even take with us. And this allows us to ambitiously love others, ambitiously flourish where he's placed us. I mean, look at Paul. For all earthly, if you just had a strictly earthly perspective, you'd say, Paul is useless right now. He's in prison. But yet Paul is flourishing in prison. Why? Because his end goal is to glorify Christ, and that's what he's doing from prison. He's not just doing it locally. He's doing it in Macedonia and all these other letters he writes. His ministry is flourishing in ways that had never flourished before. Why? Because of his perspective, because he's doing it for the glory of Christ. So what perspective is driving your ambition and directing your life decisions? You've got to ask us, what is it? Is it Christ? So that's the second thing. The third thing, we bring glory to Christ by having confidence in the power of the gospel. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in your faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on my account. Paul is brilliant when it comes to ministry. He understands the context of the Philippians. The Philippians... Philippi is a, a town that is filled with a bunch of military retirees. And there's one thing that military people speak, and that's service and sacrifice. And Paul understands that, and he's demonstrating both of that. 
And he understands that his presence among the, Phil, uh, the Philippians would give them an added dimension of their understanding of joy and the practice of life in Christ. And he has this confidence because he knows the gospel has changed his life. He understands that the gospel has changed his life and therefore could have a transformative effect on the Philippians. I mean, Paul was a murderer. Paul was a murderer that was ravaging the church. And I want to make this clear. Paul was... I used this term and it didn't go over well, but I'm just going to say it again because I don't learn. But Paul was like the ancient, like the most interesting man in the ancient world. The guy could speak multiple languages. He understood the Jewish context. He was a Roman citizen. He traveled all over the place. The guy was awesome. He could have been anything that he wanted. But he has confidence in the gospel because he knows how much it's changed his life. And he says, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on the account of me. He uses this, this, this word boasting. And we often think of it in a negative term. Boasting seems kind of prideful, but that's not really um, the meaning of this word. It, it means a motive or ground for being satisfied in the achievement of Christ. And there's two aspects of this boasting. There's an internal aspect, internal confidence in our salvation in Christ. Confidence that we know that we are secure in Christ, that our identities are secure in Christ, that we will always be Christ, that we will never be separated from Christ, that our union for Christ is forever. And that allows us to take risks in life for the purposes of glorifying Christ. Because our identity is rooted not in metal or a job or who we are in the family, but in Christ. And there's that internal internal confidence in the gospel. Secondly, it's an ex external confidence, an eagerness to proclaim the gospel. And these things work together because you possibly can't proclaim the gospel with confidence if you really don't believe in the power of the gospel. And I'm not saying cognitively understanding, I'm saying experientially understanding how the gospel could change you and being secure in that. You can't have confidence to proclaim it in that way. And in order to believe in the power of the gospel, you need to understand the message of the gospel. And I think that's where we come and we need to really just meditate on this for a second. The gospel has transformative power to change people, to change societies, to change communities. And I want you to just, I just want you to think about this. Because we gloss over this. But think about who we are apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 says we are dead. We are dead like a bag of bones, spiritually speaking. We can't even choose anything of God. That's how bad we are. And there's a separation because of sin. And we deserve judgment. We deserve judgment. But God doesn't leave us there. God sends his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and just and righteous life. And then he's nailed to a cross. But he's resurrected three days later. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ and his resurrection and what he has done on the cross, his righteousness is imputed to us. His righteousness are ours. And when the father looks at us, he sees his son 
and we're redeemed, and we're no longer destined for judgment, we're destined for glory. And God is going to redeem everything at the end of times. He's going to redeem it all, and we have a hand in that, in Christ, as we glorify the name of Christ. That's the gospel. We are in a very bad spot, and God saved us. This is huge, and that's what drives Paul. We see the heartbeat of Paul's ambition was Christ. His heart beated for Christ. And this, this really convicted me this week. I woke up the other day, it was like in the middle of the night, and all I heard was, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm, I woke up in the middle of the night, and that was in my, in my mind. And I don't wake up in the middle of the night often. And I'm like, I, just, I want my heartbeat to be that. I want my heartbeat to be that. So I have to ask you, what is the heartbeat of your ambition right now? How would you answer this question? For me to live is what? Honestly, for me to live is fill in the blank, what? Given your priorities and schedule this week, how would you honestly fill that blank? What if you changed everything and you wrote Christ into that blank? What would that mean for your life? What would that look like? I'm there. I'm right there with you. I'm going to encourage you to join me this week by filling in that blank, processing that blank, praying through that blank. My prayer is that our ambition would be joyfully and freeing because it's rooted in the glory of Christ and that our heartbeat would be to live is Christ and to die is gain. And be free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the freedom in you. So be with us as we leave this room, as we leave this church. Help us process these things. In Jesus' name.